BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thousands of emails from Dr. Anthony Fauci have been released through the Freedom of Information Act, and they confirm everything we already knew about him. He's a vain bureaucratic fraud. We'll take a deep dive into Dr. Fauci's emails in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. There are no surprises for me, and I'm sure for you, when it comes to Dr. Anthony Fauci. This is a guy who is on TV more than some people I know who are TV hosts. I mean, this is someone who every time you look up, it seems we're getting another lecture, more out of one side of the mouth than out of the other side of his mouth, babbling about the public health measures and all this other nonsense that we hear from this guy who's been wrong at critical points, really every critical point of the pandemic, who has been fear-mongering, who has enjoyed the limelight far too much, as we know, he's even got a book that's coming out now. That's right, because that's, that's what we really need. Another book on leadership from a feckless bureaucrat. But Dr. Fauci's not having the best week ever, and it's because of a Freedom of Information Act request that has allowed people to go through these emails for themselves that have to do with his communications at the early stages of the pandemic using his official account. Remember, government email accounts, people can actually get access to that stuff, although some of it is blocked out. There are some redactions that have been made, but it goes over a number of major issues like masks and whether the virus was engineered and coordination on the lab leak the uh, theory. Uh, so let's dive into this. First off, as you know, near and dear to my heart, masks. How is it that over the course of just a few months from the beginning of the pandemic, we went from masks don't really do anything, aren't a necessary public health step, to if you don't double mask, that was by January of 2021, if you don't double mask, you don't take the virus seriously. What rigorous real world testing did they do? No, they did some some laboratory spray gun tests through a mask and said, well, there's less droplets. So I guess that means less virus as if that's in any way really dealing with how transmission of this occurs in real world settings. Turns out Dr. Fauci kind of knew this back in February of 2020. He said this, masks are, this is in an email, masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit in keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend you wear a mask. Could it be any more clear than that? Now, if you in the last year have been saying things like, hold on a second, the virus is so small that it can easily pass through the mesh of a mask like this, they say, and remember, you can breathe, you're breathing through the mask all the time. It's not an actual airtight seal. So, so stuff's coming in, stuff's coming out. 
Don't worry about it. Don't pay any attention to it. Just shut your mouth, do what you're told. That's what they say. Well, we've got an, yet another bit of evidence here to suggest that what we knew for the last hundred years or so about masks all of a sudden was forgotten very conveniently by Dr. Fauci when there was a public health uh, pandemic, not just a pandemic, but also an anxiety pandemic, an outcry for something to be done. And so Fauci offered them, yes, masks, those will save us. How'd that work out for us? Then there's the question of was the COVID-19 virus itself engineered? Now that's not saying that it was created wholesale in a lab, but what it does indicate is, or what it would indicate is that a virus that came from nature was manipulated through something called gain of function research, and we'll come back to that, to make it more transmissible, more lethal, any number of characteristics could be, could be changed in that research process. Well, about the engineering of this, or the possibility that it was engineered and then escaped, that the COVID-19 virus then escaped from a lab, here's from the Fauci emails on January 31st, 2020. The virus looks totally normal and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. It goes on, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. So that seems noteworthy, doesn't it? An email exchange at this level saying that, you know, this kind of looks engineered. I thought you were a crazy conspiracy theorist if you even raised the possibility that this had been engineered. Oh, that's right. They wanted to push the narrative in one direction. Now, how'd they do that? Well, as we see from these emails, a whole lot of coordination on the messaging behind the scenes. And this is at the very highest level. Remember, Fauci is the single most recognizable public health official in the United States, really in the world now, which is a remarkable situation in and of itself. And he had this exchange on April 19th of 2020 with Peter Dajak of the EcoHealth Alliance. Uh, there's a, a bunch of stuff in here. As the PI of the R01 grant publicly targeted by Fox News reporters at the presidential press briefing last night. I just want to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for publicly standing up and stating that scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from a bat to human spillover, not a lab release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It goes on, from my perspective, your comments are brave and, in, and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths being spun about the virus's origins. The myths being spun. Who was spinning the myths again? Let's just take a moment to think about that one. What looks to be the more likely explanation for the origins of the COVID-19 outbreak? This human to bat, or bat to human transition that may have gone through the intermediary species of the pangolin in a wet market in Wuhan? or that a nearby laboratory where according to recent Wall Street Journal reporting based off intelligence reports, they had a number of researchers get very sick with an aerosolized respiratory virus right around December of 2019, you know, COVID-19. What's more likely in your mind? Oh, but it's a good thing at the top level they were dispelling the myths early on. Now, look, 
if this if this was just a question of good faith mistakes, good faith errors, you could say they did their best. There's a lot that people didn't know. But at every stage of this pandemic, people like Fauci or Dajak or any number of these experts out there acted as though they had a lock on absolute truth, that there was nobody else who should be heard from, that their pronouncements were coming in effect like the Pope ex cathedra. It must be correct. There can be no challenging of this. This is like the word of God spoken through man. But they were wrong. And they got it wrong. And so many of the policies that we were forced to endure were rooted in this belief that the public health officials out there were getting it right, and they weren't. So isn't that an enormous blunder? Isn't that something that we should have some accounting of at this point? The Fauci emails are perhaps just another piece of of evidence in the fire Fauci file, but he's still going to get treated as a hero by Democrats. I can assure you of that one because he helped beat Donald Trump in 2020. All right, so we know what a fraud Dr. Fauci is, but will there be any accountability? And also let's talk more about gain of function research with senior editor at Human Events, Jack Posobiec, who is joining us next to discuss. Stay there. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own and you didn't want to make rookie mistakes? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investments, but I didn't want to get involved in something that, well, was just beyond my skill set, right? That's when I met my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. And now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process for picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com and see what my friends can do for you. That's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey today with experts with a proven track record of success, one that I'm a part of now, doneforyoubuck.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So he lied about masks. He was well aware that COVID-19 may in fact have come from a lab in Wuhan, and he seemed more interested in getting his face on TV than finding solutions to the pandemic. Pretty much sums up what we've confirmed through Dr. Fauci's emails. Question is, will he ever be held accountable? And all the people that propped up this nonsense. Jack Posobiec is a senior editor at Human Events. You can pick up his latest book, The Antifa Stories from Inside the Black Block on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. He joins us right now. Jack, it is quite a trove of information, this, this email dump. Fascinating to see how some media outlets act like, oh yeah, nothing to see here, don't worry. But when you actually read the emails, as I know you and I have both been doing the last 24 hours, 
You find out some interesting stuff. What's the biggest conclusion you're drawing so far from seeing these Fauci emails? Well, uh, two things, Bucket. Thanks again for having me on. You know, the, first of all, I love the spin that CNN and Washington Post and a few others are, are trying to put on this. It's not catching on, but they say, well, just look at how many emails he sent. Isn't he so nice responding to all these people, so, taking time out of his No, come on. We want to see what the actual emails had to say, all right? Treat us like we're adults because we are. When you dig into this stuff, you're right. You do see the stuff where he's really opposing the idea of uh, masks. You see the stuff where he says that the lockdowns are, or at least the school closures are not necessary. But the biggest thing for me is that in the very early days, the earliest possible stages of this thing, he is discussing with his own assistants, people who work for him at the National Institute of Health, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He's talking about gain of function. We've seen the emails. He himself is asking questions about the Institute and asking questions about whether whether or not gain-of-function experiments were being performed there in contravance of that pause that was supposed to happen or about this P3 framework of review that was supposed to go through. It turns out it wasn't uh, something that was adhered to, even though they promised they were going to. All of this, you know, seems to be water under the bridge because he goes on TV and for almost a year and a half has said, don't worry about the Institute of Virology. I know it's right down the street, but don't worry about that. This is just natural, just natural. Internally, it was a completely different story. And then you can see him huddling with Tedros and others trying to get not the facts straight about where this thing came from. No, they're trying to make sure they are on the same sheet of music when it comes to the public opinion, when it comes to their talking points, and when it comes to the political messaging of this entire thing. You know what I don't see in this email trove is any questions of him going back to Peter Doshak or going over to his colleagues in Wuhan and saying, hey, what the heck were you guys up to in the summer and winter of 2019? Was this thing coming out of your work. You mentioned gain of function. We got, uh, we can put up on the screen for folks at home so they can see. Uh, dated February 1st, 2020 from Dr. Fauci to Hugh Oceanclose of NIH. It is essential we speak this AM, keep your cell phone on, but it says nature, medicine, SARS gain of function at the very, at the very top. SARS gain of function, folks. Read this paper as well as the email I'll forward to you now. And then the second part of this, the paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain of function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by the NIH. Not sure what this means since Emily is sure that no coronavirus work uh, went through the P3 framework. She'll try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. So they didn't know. I mean, this idea the that the gain of, fun that, that gain of function research at best, Jack, we could say, at this phase in this email, he wasn't sure, but it was always a possibility that they were tinkering with a virus at this lab, and that's actually what got out of the lab. Yeah, what it says to me is that Fauci himself has questions about this, but it seems, though, that his concerns were not necessarily into the you know public health or the interests of providing uh, information to the public as to where this thing possibly came from. It seems as though their interest is more in protecting their institutions, protecting their own positions and making sure that they are not open to any vulnerabilities because they, as they state, may have had ties to this work abroad, right? And the fact that it didn't go through the framework, we now know what that means. 
We know that they were conducting experiments and it wasn't put through the review framework that they were supposed to set up because we've had whistleblowers who were involved with this P3 system, which is essentially it's it's supposed to be this review board that everything goes through. Well, because they use the EcoHealth Alliance to do that as a sort of a cutout for the funding, they say they can say, well, we didn't fund it. EcoHealth Alliance funded it. We just funded them. That same group, EcoHealth Alliance out of Houston, who are they headed by? Peter Doshak, the same Peter Doshak who's emailing Fauci early on saying, make sure you don't say anything about Wuhan, make sure you dispel all of these rumors and conspiracies about the Wuhan lab. And then also Peter Doshak, who a year later, we're told, is the guy who is put in charge of the quote, independent investigation of the Wuhan lab by the WHO, the very same guy with his name all over this thing, Peter Doshak, someone that we really need to look into. And no, I'm sorry, you do not get to investigate yourself, Peter. It's amazing. This is really the the classic, Jack, you and I both work for the federal government for a period of time. This is the self-licking ice cream cone once again, right? This is, they try to drive people away from the conclusion in the early stages that this may have come from this lab in China, as we know, and now we come full circle, we find out they were steering people away from it, and we're supposed to rely on them to give us the real final answer as to whether the lab leak hypothesis turned out to be true here. It's almost like they, they can't really think we will believe this, but this is what the apparatus is offering up, isn't it? Yeah, again, you know, this is sort of the machine trying to protect itself. This is the institution protecting the institution. Fauci's a company man, right? He believes in this. He believes in the bureaucracy. He's a bureaucrat through and through. And for anyone who's seen uh, Yes Minister and uh, Sir Humphrey Appleby, they will understand what this is, these institutionalists. So for him, it's making sure that he is that voice. He is sort of, you know, the old man on the mountain. He is the uh, the eminence Greece, you know, sort of the the older uh prime mover of every of all of this and that we are not supposed to to have any questions other than his sacred writ that comes down. Well, when it turns out, when you actually look at the man behind the curtain, he has all the same exact concerns as everybody else does because they are legitimate and he should have. I mean, imagine, you know, you go back a year and a half and if Fauci had come forward and said, look, you know what? We did have this operation. We've done some investigation. It looks like there was something going on in Wuhan. They're the ones who are not giving us the answers. Uh, we're, you know, we don't know what's going on here. We thought this was above board. I think a lot more people would have his back in terms of this if he had just come clean with us from the very start instead of fighting it tooth and nail, playing semantics games about dual use and gain of function words and saying, well, that's not really gain of function. Look, just come clean, tell us what was going on. And if you don't know what was going on, which increasingly it seems to be that is the case, that he doesn't know and he wasn't curious enough to press his Chinese colleagues about this at the Wuhan lab, that he needs to admit it, admit the emperor has no clothes so we can get past it and move forward. Jack Posobiec, good to see you, man. Good work on this. People go check out Jack's book, The Antifa. Jack, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Buck. Always a pleasure. Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill banning biological men from competing in women's sports. So how long before the woke backlash begins against Florida? Daily Caller's Katie McDuffie joins us next to answer that question. I've been telling you for a while now about online thieves who can easily steal your home's title. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take it from this thief who stole over 150 homes and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. This is why you need Home Title Lock. 
Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. Oh no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's, it's in my name, or he would have to get some special document. They would call me. You know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that, that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Heard enough? Don't let this crime happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. My view was throughout this whole time, we have to protect our girls. It is discriminatory to force them to compete against biological males. You can't be cowed by these organizations, or particularly by woke corporations, uh, from doing the right thing. We're standing with our folks. We're going to do the right thing. Uh, and so if corporations want to come in and try to bully us around, they are going to go nowhere. It's going to be like hitting their head against a brick wall. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sticking by his decision to bar biological men from playing on public school teams intended for student athletes who were born female, promising not to let any woke corporations punish the state for protecting women's sports. So how long until the woke mob comes knocking? Let's ask our next guest, video journalist at The Daily Caller and recent Division I athlete herself, Katie McDuffie. Katie, great to have you on. Thank you for having me on. So as somebody who just recently left the, uh, the playing fields of, of collegiate athletics and, and playing as, as a female uh, lacrosse player, what, what do you make of Ron DeSantis's decision here? And would you like to see this replicated by other governors across the country? I would love to see this replicated. And I think this means that he's not giving in to the woke mob. And I actually think he is standing up for female sports because we know that you have to follow the science here. I mean, biological males competing against females is completely unfair. It's not only an unequal playing field, but it's also safety. It's just boys are natural, uh, biological males are naturally stronger and naturally faster than males. So it does come down to safety and it is extremely unfair that we're seeing this happening across the country and we've seen it happen in Connecticut. Yeah, in Connecticut, they've had uh, biological males competing against females in track. I believe they've set a number of records, and uh, so, some of those individuals have set, have set records for female track in the state. You know, we also have a decision that just came down uh, a few days ago from the Olympic Committee to allow Laurel Hubbard, born a biological male and a former male powerlifter, you can see here, this is Laurel Hubbard, will be competing in the Olympics coming up in Tokyo as a female powerlifter. Um, you know, Katie, I have a feeling that Laurel here is going to do very well, maybe even set the all-time world record, which just, how does that feel to you as somebody who was competing in women's sports at a high level? It's extremely disheartening to see that. And I can't even imagine. I mean, Olympics only come around once every four years. So the young women that have worked so hard to get a position there, it's almost like, why did I even bother? Because 
I know I'm going to lose. It's almost a hopeless situation. So, I mean, that's extremely saddening to see. I mean, you can obviously see there that she is just so strong. And it's almost like, why do I even try at that point? It, it, it's, it's really hard to watch that. Were you, were you told when you were competing in the NCAA, um, was there always the possibility that, I mean, lacrosse is a very physical game, for example, not just, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the, the strength and speed that has to be used all the time, but there can be on the men's side, I know, right, there can actually be checking and things like that. In, in New York, if somebody had identified, and this has happened in other states with other sports, if a male identified as female and wanted to compete, was there always the chance that you, you would have had to play against an individual like that? Is, is that the state... In, is, is that the state of affairs, if you will, in a state like New York? Well, what I will say is this. Biden signed his executive order on day one saying children should not be able to go without, you know, being discriminated against in these locker rooms. And they should be able to play at public universities like I was at myself. So I would say uh, when I was playing in college, which was only a year ago, it might not have been the case. But with this wokeness we're seeing with this new administration, I mean, remember, Biden signed this executive order on day one. One, I wouldn't be surprised if I had to play with a biological male just because I was at a public university. And when when you speak to other other women who are in uh, either currently or, or previously in collegiate athletics, even those that I think would identify as being uh, being left wing, uh, being ideologically liberal Democrats, I mean, do, do, does anyone that you know or you played with uh, as, as a woman? think that this is actually fair? It's, I'm, it's always remarkable. There are people that push for these policies. I always want to know, do any of the players think that this is reasonable? Female players. It's actually funny because I did an interview similar to this one where we spoke about these transgender athlete restrictions and bans. And I, I tweeted out the video and I actually got some hate from someone I played with. So I do think that people are very divided on this issue. It is very complicated. And there are people that don't support it and there are people that do. But I would say from the from the majority, people do not support biological males playing with females just because, I mean, it is, it does come down to the science where biological males are just faster and stronger than females. Governor Ron DeSantis says he is going to hold strong against companies, nonprofits, which I believe the NCAA is, but just corporations in general that are trying to bring pressure to bear here. You think Ron DeSantis is going to stand strong on this one or is he going to cave like Christine Noem? honestly think I, we see how strong DeSantis is and especially with COVID I mean he is really the king of what everyone should be doing in this country as far as leadership so no I don't see him backing down just with how strong he's been been on COVID and the fact that I mean why would he give in to these woke corporations like Nike who really I mean at this point why would you stand with them when they are advocating for such terrible things Katie, thanks so much for sharing your perspective. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having me on. Idaho's lieutenant governor made national headlines after banning local mask mandates, only to have it overturned shortly thereafter by Idaho's governor. Both Republicans, by the way. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan joins us to explain the drama, the mask drama, when we come back. 
Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan made national headlines after issuing an executive order banning local mask mandates imposed by the state's governor, Brad Little, while he was out of town. And now she's gearing up to run against him. Uh, Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan joins us now, uh, and she is welcome on the program. Thanks so much. Uh, welcome for, uh, well, thank you for welcoming me onto your show. I, I think it's important for people all across the country to know what's happening in other states and what some of us are doing to try to protect our freedoms and our liberties. So once Governor Little came back, uh, he essentially reinstated the opportunity for local governments to have mask mandates in the state of Idaho. So just tell us, how did he get to this point? Why did you feel the, uh, the need to get rid of the mandate, eliminate the mandates altogether at the state level? Well, what happened this past year is our governor issued a statewide proclamation that placed restrictions on us, on individuals and on businesses, but yet allowed the localities to enforce these restrictions, whether it be the city, the county, the public health districts, the school board or our courts. And so what I saw that was very problematic, especially lately, because we We've come so far from where we were a few, even a few months ago. The vaccine is readily available to anyone who wants it. And this, these restrictions are being um, enforced randomly and discriminate, indiscriminately across the state. I've seen our governor actually attend political rallies with hundreds of people in the room and wearing no mask, but yet our kids in the classroom are being forced to, to wear masks. And that's real concerning to me. And I, our, our governor should really listen to other people, our teachers, parents, and, and kids of what their experience in the classroom is. Our kids are experiencing discrimination. They're being harassed and bullied. One student that I spoke to who is autistic, he cannot function with a mask on his face. One young child told me that his teacher said to him, if you don't wear a mask, I'm, I'm going to die and you will be killing me. And so, you know, these things are happening and it's, it's, it's terrible what's happening in our classrooms. And I can't believe that the governor would allow this to continue to happen. So what happened is when the governor left the state last week to attend a partisan event, he actually gave me the opportunity to correct this injustice and this hypocrisy by the order that I issued, the executive order, which prohibited any type of mask mandate on the locality. Now, I totally believe in local control, except for when it comes to the rights and the freedoms that we have as citizens. And this, this was something that I was attempting to correct. And I was hoping that our governor would, would let it stand and recognize the, the value and the legitimacy of this. So let me ask you, both you and the governor are Republicans. Had you spoken to Governor Little before you made this decision about what you thought the right move would be while he was in this state? And why won't he see this? Uh, your Look, I mean, I'll just be honest. Anyone watching the show knows I, I agree with you. <laughs> so I agree with your move. Why doesn't the governor see it the way that you do. I've offered my help and assistance throughout this past year and uh, it has not been accepted. So I don't know why, you know, me asking the governor, calling up the governor and say, hey, can I do this while you're gone? I don't think that would 
have made oh, no, any I, I difference. Meant, I meant, did you ask him to have you have you been pushing for him to remove the ma- you know the mandate before? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, not just myself, but the members of the legislature. Idaho just got done with the longest legislative session in history. I'm as the lieutenant governor. I'm the president of the Senate while they're in session, and there was a bill, House Bill 339, that passed through the House of Representatives with a two-thirds majority vote, meaning it was veto-proof, and it uh, didn't, it got to the Senate side and wouldn't be progressed past that. So the legislative body was attempting to do what the executive order did and prohibiting these mass mandates on the local level. Now, Idaho, I'm here in New York City, we think of Idaho as a very red state. And, and a more free state than what we've seen in a lot of blue blue places like where I currently am in California and, and others uh, in, the, in the Northeast, other parts of the country where they've had more extreme lockdown measures. Is it the situation right now in Idaho that children, I, I know we're getting to the point where maybe school is, is over or soon to be over for school-aged kids, but are they masking up in the classroom? Are, are there, are there well, what kind of rules are in place in Idaho right now that you particularly disagree with when it comes to masks? Well, and yes, that is happening in our classrooms today. And our schools, I think most of our schools are still in session for another week or two. And some of our largest school districts are are still mandating the masks on our kids. Our kids are the least vulnerable. And when the ones that I've talked to, the ones I've heard from, they have this this fear that's instilled into them. They aren't enjoying school. They talk about how they miss their friends and can't see their smiley faces. There, There is nothing in our state law that provides for these kind of restrictions on the individual. And it, again, it is the governor's statewide proclamation and statewide order that is enabling these localities to put these things into place. And we're still in this state of emergency after 14 months we're still in this state of emergency. And and you, yes, you say we are a red state, but there's been contention within the leadership within our state about how this coronavirus was dealt with in, in, in Idaho, because a lot of the same things that happened all over the country where businesses were shut down and healthy people were ordered to stay home and we were, or we could, were told we couldn't go to our churches and worship during the time. Those, all the things that happened across the country also happened right here in Idaho. What, what sort of response, been, uh, Lieutenant Governor, did you get from the people of Idaho for the time period that you, you banned mask mandates at the local level? It was, uh, we've been counting those responses in my office. It's about 70 to 30, 70% of the phone calls and emails that are coming in from around the state are in support of the action that I, I took. And and I think it's important. I, that's why I appreciate your interest in what's happening in Idaho, because I think that people all over the country need to, well, people all over the country are waking up. They're they're waking up that the way that these this virus has been handled and some of the restrictions that have been placed on us, the goalposts that are continually moving, uh, you know, over a year ago was supposed to be, we all had two weeks to bend the curve and look where we're at today. 
our, our whole, our world has been tipped upside down and we've lost so many businesses. People have, uh, are suffering from depression and anger and uh, it just wasn't necessary. The decisions that were made were kind of a top down. I wasn't in, as a second in command, Lieutenant Governor, I wasn't part of these decisions that were made and neither was the legislature. All of last year, they were begging the governor to call them back into session and help deal with this this emergency, um, but didn't happen until yeah. late August. The fight for freedom continues on despite all the sense that we are out of this. It's not over yet. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for joining us from Idaho. Appreciate it. A absolutely. Thanks. You have a great day. An African-American father teaches his daughter the truth about critical race theory. You're not going to want to miss this viral video. It is in Quick Hits, and it's up next. We're living in very uncertain times, and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now. Learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A brave father stands up to critical race theory and President Biden claims white supremacy is a bigger terror threat to the homeland than ISIS or anything else for that matter. We got those stories in quick hits. Let's get right to it. First off, critical race theory gets a lot of attention these days. It's being taught to children in schools. It has a resurgence. It first came really to prominence on, uh, in the academy in the 1990s an outgrowth of critical legal theory, itself really an outgrowth of Marxism, which you won't often hear, and some of the deconstructionist intellectuals of the 1960s. Now critical race theory is taught as though it is just the reality of the world around us and here in America to school-age children. Well, some people have been pushing back, notably that this is a political indoctrination process and also it teaches things as true that are simply untrue and some would argue immoral. Here is a black father who has some very prescient thoughts on critical race theory. Daddy teaches you you can be anything in this world that you want to be, right? Don't daddy teach you that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if, if you're black or white or any color. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, 
brown, yellow, yellow. right? Black. And and how we treat people is based on who yeah. they are and not and what color nice. they are. And if they're nice and smart. See, this is how this is how children think right here. Critical race theory wants to end that. Not with my children. It's not gonna happen. My baby's gonna know that no matter what she wants to be in life, all she has to do is work hard, and she can become that. Work hard, even though you don't know anyone, you can make friends. <laughs> yeah, you can make friends, no matter what color they are. So we need to stop CRT. Period. Point blank. Children do not see skin color, man. They love everybody. If they're good people, they love them. If they're good people, they love them. Be friends with everybody, regardless of skin color. Treat everybody equally. There was a time, it feels not long ago, when this was at least the shared ideal of all Americans, that we treat each other as human beings equal in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law and each other. But now critical race theory takes us in a very different direction. Everyone must first fall somewhere into a racial hierarchy of blame. There's oppressors and there are oppressed. There are victimizers and there are victims. And even if you've done nothing but be a good and decent and moral person your whole life who treats everybody based upon, as they say in the video, the young girl there, whether they're nice and smart, instead of based upon their skin color, uh, you are failing in the eyes of critical race theory because it is about the collective. It is about elevating the group identity over that of the individual. Well, many of us are saying no, and this black father uh, absolutely nails it, as does his adorable daughter. All right, Biden out there still talking about how the real threat to the homeland, you guessed it, white supremacy. As I said in my address to the joint session of Congress, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. When he says threat to the homeland, does he mean strategic level threat? Because I'd like to see that analysis. If he means terror with a political motive, well, then we could certainly look at the numbers and depending on the time frame, yes, you would be able to make a case that white supremacist terrorism uh, has a higher body count. But if you're looking at the end of America as we know it, strategic level threats to our existence and our way of life, Al-Qaeda can do that. ISIS can do that. White supremacist terrorism. Mm. And then when you see the way they're pushing for a January 6th commission, and calling that a white supremacist insurrection, you're starting to see, oh, they're also going to tie that to the entire Republican Party and all Trump voters, aren't they? This is all part of a narrative, a narrative meant to suppress political dissent and the opposition of the GOP to the Biden Marxists, because that is what we are up against, friends. Make no mistake about it. And then there's some cultural appropriation going on. Cultural appropriation is a stupid term. All cultures appropriated from other culture. This is absurd. It means nothing. But people say it all the time. They believe it's a real thing. Mexico has accused Zara and anthrop anthropology of cultural appropriation, uh, claiming they made use of designs created by the country's indigenous population. In a series of letters to the brands, Mexico's Ministry of Culture asked for a public explanation it also asks for benefits to be given back to the creative communities that it believes invented the embroidery techniques and design motifs. 
give me a break. All right, this, this kind of uh, cultural appropriation shakedown is unfortunately only going to become more common in the days ahead because so many times it works. People are terrified. Oh no, I'm a cultural appropriator. Let me say all culture is built upon appropriation. Cultures borrow, they steal actively from each other because culture is just a, se a series of practices, aesthetics, ideals. That's really what culture boils down to. So can't we all just share that as human beings? Enjoy it, revel in it even. No, some people have ownership of it. Mm, I don't think so. Nobody owns Mozart. Nobody owns Einstein. Nobody owns the great masters of the Renaissance period of art. No, you know, nobody owns this. This belongs to all of us. And yes, even some cool designs from the Mexican indigenous population belongs to everybody. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.